Raising Kids with Healthy Money Habits. Welcome to Common Sense on the Prairie, a podcast by First National Wealth Management in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We are a regional best provider of wealth management services, including investment management and financial planning, as well as personal trust, institutional trust, and retirement plan services. This podcast is our chance to share some of our passions and help you make your money work for you. Today, I'm joined by Nathan Duncan. Nathan is the founder and president of Share, Save, Spend. For over 25 years, Nathan has been a thought leader in the area of helping individuals and families align their money decisions with their values. He's the author of three books, as well as numerous groundbreaking tools and resources for organizations, individuals, and family. Nathan, you and I have known each other for, for many years, back uh, up in my time in Minneapolis, and we were actually yeah. in a study group together once upon a time yeah. talking about wealth transitions. Yes. So uh, great to see you again. Thank you so Likewise. much for doing this, and welcome to the pod. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me, Adam. It's, uh, it's great to be with you, and good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you. Looking forward to this conversation. But before we dive in, let's take care of that disclaimer. Any comments, insights, or strategies discussed on this podcast are intended to be general in nature and therefore may not be suitable for you and your situation, whatever that may be. Before acting on anything we discuss, please consult with your attorney, CPA, and or your financial advisor. All right, Nathan, let's jump in. The name of your firm is Share, Save, Spend. Where's that yeah. name come from? Yeah, it's interesting how that evolved. Um, when I was in early my early days as a financial advisor in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um, I knew an educator, um, and she, her name was Sally, and Sally said, called me up one day and said, hey, um, I'd like to take you to lunch. I have um, some observations I want to share with you, and I also have a request. I said, okay. Um, we went to lunch, and her observations were that um, people, it was her observation that individuals, and especially families, were having an increasingly difficult time just talking about money. And she said, I don't see a lot of you know, people out in the community, um, in the world, frankly, helping them do that better. And I think that she said, kind of the byproducts is that, you know, potentially unhealthy habits, those kinds of things. And just, so when she shared her observation, she said, okay, here comes the request. My request is that you would create hmm. a multi-generational for adolescents and parents, create um, interactive learning experience for them. And, um, and I'll help facilitate it, pull people together. And so it was in writing kind of in creating that workshop called Parents, Kids, and Money, cleverly titled. Um, it was then that I started thinking about yeah. my own ways of how I did money and how did my parents teach me and my three older siblings. And they didn't necessarily call it share and save and spend, but boy, did they really lean on that, whether it was allowances that we received and or money that we earned. It was just a regular part of our conversation. And my parents modeled it. They talked about it. Um, and so that was really the kind of the genesis of the philosophy. Oh, very cool. Um, so today we're going to spend our time talking about kids and money primarily. Uh, but before we do that, I want to talk about something that I've heard you talk about before, and that's this idea of money values. Can you tell me yeah. what that means and why it's so important? Yeah, I think, you know, it, when I think about people and their money habits and they about their money conversations, so my kind of general observation is a lead into this, Adam, is that, you know, more or less, you know, my observation is that families often kind of struggle to have a common money language, right? Something that they can kind of wrap their head around and then it, it's somewhat fluid within their interactions in their home or with, you know, each other if there is a couple or, you know, out in the world. And so, you know, lacking that, um, 
you know, common language, um, my assessment is it's, it can be really difficult to kind of step in and do money well. Um, so if you don't have a good common language sure. and you also, though, um, you know, again, my observation is that people tend to have underdeveloped financial capabilities. And so when you put those two things together, you know, the byproduct is diminished uh, well-being, diminished financial well-being. So here's where the values piece is so important. It's the foundational kind of element to help them get some commonality around what's important to them. So there's an exercise that I, you know, did early on in my work with families when I was in Philly, you know, obviously now we're located in Minneapolis, but um, in, in those um, experiences, I really wanted to find out, you know, again, with adolescents, parents, and we continue to do this, you know, it's evolved since then, what's important to you? You know, what is it about money that's important to you? Um, and then, you know, what, how do you connect that with the things that matter most to you in life? And then where do you start to see some of the intersections so that when I'm out in the world, I talk about money as a vote. Every time we use money, it's effectively kind of like a vote, you know, whether I'm doing the share, the save or the spend. And it's a vote about my values, what's important to me about the present and the future. And it's also can be a vote in the world, what's important to me. And so I think it's really important for families to get foundationally kind of anchored in their values and then use that as the springboard for their kind of conversations, their learning, their interactions. In your mind, is that why it's so important to talk to our kids about this stuff? Huge. I mean, you know, again, I, um, I yeah. just will track back to my um, experiences as a kid. I kind of describe myself as growing up in the freak family. And what I mean by that is, it's no disrespect <laughs> to my parents, by the way, but what I just, I, my parents just kind of talked openly about money when I was a kid right? They would sit at the kitchen table, oh, interesting. right? And they would sit there and they would openly kind of pay their bills, right? And they would do these things, these exchanges. And then they were, you know, we would be wandering by like, Hey mom and dad, what are you doing? Well, we're saving for your college. <laughs> we're paying our mortgage, you know, the heat bill, you know, we're, we're putting money away for, you know, our offering at church or whatever the thing might be. But it got us into this sort of sense. And I mean, I knew in fourth grade, like what a mortgage was and how much my mom and dad were paying for it. And I knew that because we had moved. Um, mm. and we moved to the Twin Cities at that point. And um, so I knew that that was a thing. Now, did I know kind of the totality of a mortgage? No. But did I know kind of the, you know, kind of high yeah. level? Yes. So it gave me a sense of kind of just comfort. And, and a language. So we're going to go back to that. So there is my, my parents in their kind of values-based way, um, talking to us in that way. And that's why I describe growing up in a freak family, because I thought everybody did. It. <laughs> you know? And then what mm. I came to notice that yeah, or, right. or understand is that, you know, people are often really afraid of this topic. And so they pull back and they're kind of like, I don't know what I should talk to my kids about. Fair point, by the way. Um, but I really encourage and want to help people step into these spaces more intentionally because absent doing it, you're, you're defaulting and you're letting the culture shape their values and habits around money. And I really don't like that. <laughs> I don't like the outcome of that. It's sure, I, I yeah. really would rather, you know, family step into it more, more on their own. Yeah, that makes sense. You and I had a little bit of a similar upbringing. My dad and I were really close uh, growing up. And one of the things that we enjoyed talking about was money and uh, personal finance, but I know not everyone grows up that way. And as do you, you just alluded to that. 
But I think you and I would agree that it's really, really important for us as parents to have healthy money conversations with our kids. So I guess two questions. Number one, how do we do that? And what age is appropriate to start those conversations? Yeah. So, I mean, I I really like young, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, as I'm talking like four and five. As soon as kids have a sense around wants and needs, because that comes at them pretty pretty quickly and pretty early. Um, you know, three, four, five. I mean, as soon as they're in those conversations, you know, to begin talking basics around that needs and wants. And by the way, my perspective, you should never stop kind of framing things around that needs and wants, needs and wants. Now, mm-hmm. granted, that might that may be a bit different for different people, different families, depending on kind of how much money you have and those kinds of things. But to frame it in that space, and for example, then where your values can come in is to say. You know, let's say a child makes a request for something and you can afford it. So you wouldn't want to say, be untruthful and say, well, we can't afford that. I mean, that may be the instance, but if you can, Mm, a great way to frame it is to say, yes, we can afford that. But, you know, with our values, that's a choice we're not going to make. You know, that's it. We're going to choose to not purchase that because of our, you know, our values of what's important to us. You know, whether that's making sure we have enough money for a family vacation you know, we're saving for college. And I'm not saying you're using this every single time, but it, it's okay to be in that conversation. And it's also healthy to be in that conversation. I talk a lot, Adam, about, you know, being honest about money mistakes, you know, and when you make them go, well, that wasn't a great mm. decision, <laughs> you know, and just being, you know, being yeah. a bit vulnerable yeah. in that space because if kids can see you making mistakes and owning up to it, it really is acknowledging them like, listen, money isn't about being perfect right? It's not a, a thing of perfection. What we're trying to do is to get a, get them to be develop some resilience, right? Um, some sense of, you know, self-efficacy, um, some agency for making good financial choices. So the earlier you can start that, the better, um, and just get it into a, a really like a weekly rhythm or a situational rhythm, store, out to eat, on vacation, you know, paying for stuff, interacting, whatever. Yeah. Sure. That makes sense. So related to that, are there any details or topics that you think should be off limits? Yeah, I mean, that's, it's a fair point. I mean, I think it, it's a bit situational. You know, I don't know that I would broad brush. I mean, clearly, you know, you're not going to be talking to, a, you know, a preteen, um, probably about advanced concepts. It may be inappropriate to tell them how much you earn at that point. Um, but, you know, in terms of, you know, talking about how much things cost and it's not about guilting them. Um, but it is about saying, yeah, there's real cost to this. Um, just the other day, you know, we were in a conversation, you know, with our daughter and we were heading to meet some friends at a park, local park, um, and that we hadn't seen for a while and play outside. And we just happened to pass some homes that were really quite large. And she said, Oh, wow, that would be awesome to live there. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's, it's a, they're beautiful homes. (laughs) That and <laughs> you know, um, there's things that kind of go yeah. with that. And it, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't own a big home, but we started, you know, talking about things like, you know, that then there's the side of taking care of it and taking care of the lawn and paying for like property taxes. And she she's like, Oh, <laughs> you know, that's a lot. So it's it's just <laughs> you, you, what you want to yeah. understand is kind of as they get, you know, a little bit older, a little bit older. You know, for example, by the time they're heading off to college, I really want to make sure they know things like 
what's a credit card? What is a credit score? You know, why is it important for me? I really would like them to have a resume. I'd like them to have some work experience where they've earned some of their Mm -hmm. own money. I mean, all of these are places and spaces where you can do some good coaching and interacting um, and, you know, helping them, again, build some some really good habits that are grounded so that they can make, you know, as they get out into the world, again, it's not about perfection, but they can have a sensibility about money and, and how it, what it means to them. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. In your experience, do kids understand the value of money and, and what it can be used for? I would say it depends, right? And it, I think, depends a lot on the conversations that are going on at home. And, you know, they do understand how much things cost. I mean, A, they have the internet, you know, they have friends, you know, they, it's, it's pretty amazing how quickly they can start to pick up on those kinds of things, um, just through forces out external forces. And again, I'm not saying those are bad, but those are just, I mean, if you, it's, it's so funny when, when parents will say to me, oh, you know, my, my kids, they don't have any idea how much our house costs. I'm like, seriously, you don't think they do? Hmm. So you know, I'm mm-hmm. just like, they probably right, yeah, do. Right. <laughs> right? And, and so I think it's just important to yep. you know, have an awareness around some of that, those pieces. But I, I'm just, I'm, you know, again, I, I want to be mindful of it. But I also, you know, with kids today, they have a natural curiosity about money if we create a space for it, right? It's just like with anything. If, if, if it, they feel like it's a like, an, you know, for, here's a great example. Um, as a financial advisor, this woman who, when I met her, she was in her 40s and um, she and her husband had three kids. And she said, I'm going to relay to you a quick little story about my earliest memories about money. She said, I'll never forget. My dad came home from work and he pulled up and I was looking out the window and had a new car. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And so he walks in the door and I'm like, dad, great car. And the natural comment, right, or natural question was, how much did it cost? Dad quickly pivoted towards her and said, (laughs) none of your business. (laughs) None of your business. And so that then created this sort of like, oh, so money issues are off limits. And she said that was kind of the dynamic around money in her home. And so she had to really unlearn some of that none of your business kind of mentality so that as she you know, got out of the house, got her own, and she was a successful um, executive in a, in a pharmaceutical company um, out, out east in Philadelphia. But she had to unlearn a bunch of stuff so she could relearn good habits. So these things can start really early. So I, I again, I say to parents, you know, it's not sure. all on you, but it, it, there's a lot that's riding on you. Sure. Let me paint a scene for you, Nathan. So you're in Target with your family and you just want to get in and out, but your kids have <laughs> other ideas. They want a toy and they lose their minds, right? And sometimes we, yeah. as parents, we cave. We totally do. For sure. Outside of leaving them at home, what's a better way to shop with our kids? Yeah. Well, better way to shop with your kids is for them, for you to kind of frame it up ahead of time. And I know you don't always have time to do this, but this is where an allowance, and I know we're going to get to that, but this is where an allowance becomes mm. really critical, right? And let's say, which has happened with us and our daughter, who's 11, um, let's say this has happened, you know, and you're in the store and you're trying to do the quick in and out and all of a sudden the thing, um, you know, comes up and you're trying to address that, right? Well, what 
we often say um, is, um, you know, A, did you bring any money with you? Um, B, is that something that's kind of on your list of identified things or is it just a pure impulse purchase? Um, because the reason we want to put it back to her is because, you know, I want her to have to make the choice. I, it's not always going to be no, um, but I want it to be her, her choice. I don't want her to be coming to me as the funding source. I want, you know, to put that in, you know, you have money. Is that what you want to use your money for? Versus like the bank of mom and dad when it's like, woohoo, you know, let's get them to buy it. You know, they'll, they'll do whatever. So I think it's super important. like super, super important that, that you have a place where you don't get caught in that kind of untenable situation where, and again, periodically it's fine. But what happens is sometimes it can then start to become a pattern. Kids learn these patterns and then they're like, Hey, I know mom and dad are vulnerable (laughs) because they want to get in and out and they're just going to give me a quick yes. (laughs) Right. So I I just think there's a way to be a bit more strategic about it so that you know, it doesn't put you in a tough spot all the time. Yeah, it makes sense. All right, I got to laugh about this question a little bit in advance because I know it's it's hard enough for adults to get this, uh, let alone yeah. kids. But um, how do we help our kids become savers and understand the value of deferred gratification? Yeah, I mean, again, I think it so often starts with us as parents, right? As I kind of talked to you, Adam, earlier about witnessing my parents, you know, at the kitchen table, you know, um, saving for stuff, retirement, college, you know, future car, you know, those kinds of things. Um, the concern I have today is so much of that stuff has moved off, you know, kind of offline. And what I mean by that is it's now we're doing, everything is automated. Our bills are automated, mm, you know, yeah. everything, it's all automated. And so unless we're intentional and having those conversations we're now living in a place where our kids may never even know we're paying a bill. And so I think it's, it really starts mm-hmm. with us as parents, you know, to, and whether that's bringing them over to the computer and showing them, okay, here's the bill for cable or heat or what, you know, whatever that is. Um, we're talking about your mortgage and how it's paid automatically and which means you have to have money in the account, you know, and how do you manage that? So I think it, it really does start with us um, and how we frame things around you know, for example, like in our family, we like to go on vacation. So that means, you know, we're going to make some choices about maybe things we choose not to buy because we like to go on vacation. So involving our daughter in that and say, you know, what, what would you rather do, you know, X or Y, you know, and if it's vacation or going, you know, experiential, almost always she would choose the experiential. So I want to pull her into that conversation. You know, we use college a lot. Um, she has a college savings fund. Okay. Again, she's 11. Um, she's just started contributing a little bit of her money to that, which is important. Grandparents are contributing. Mm-hmm. My wife and I are contributing. But we talk about like how much it costs, you know, and not to scare, but just say, listen, <laughs> it's really expensive. And so we need to be mindful of that. And so having, you know, whether it's that or the other day, you know, there was something at the store that she wanted, we were willing to pay X. And it costs why. So listen, we'll do this. Do you want to use some of your money to, to do the difference? Because she had saved, you know, to be able to do that. And so she's like, yes, I'm willing to do that. Sure. Um, but whenever, however possible, pulling her into that conversation um, is super meaningful. And there's so many other ancillary lessons around investing and other stuff that they can be learning 
as you're talking about deferred gratification. But it's the, the studies know we know that when kids develop a sense of deferred gratification, they just perform better in life, in jobs, in you know relationships. Mm. When they have a sense of ability to defer, to defer gratification, it just is a hugely valuable component for kind of their makeup as an individual. Sure. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about allowances. We mentioned it briefly before. So growing up, I always got a $1 a week allowance for doing my chores around the house. But Mm -hmm. um, my wife and I opted for a little bit of a different system. We went with kind of a commission-based system where when our kids do something, we pay them right away. So they get that connection between, between money and work. How do you see allowances and the commission-based system, and and, yeah. and how should we be thinking about this, Nathan? Yeah, what I say is, if you found a system that's work that works for you, stick with it, because okay. there's more than one right answer in this regard. It's not just like, oh, this is the only system that works around allowance, which is, uh, okay, we're going to do it at the end of the week or every other week or maybe once a month, and there's an expectation. I think all kids, you know, we want to. They have them expected to be just doing things around the house just because they are a part of the house, right? Um, so that's important. Yeah. But if you've developed a system, Adam, where it's there's like a, they do this thing and then in exchange there's this, I think that can be great. I think that that's, again, find a system that works for you because even in the same family, you may have to you know yeah. modify the system a little bit depending on how the kids um, do with money, right? Now, the other thing I would say is, when you're making that exchange of handing them the money, and by the way, are, I'm assuming you're handing them money then? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I really like that because it's super tactile, right? And so it's, it's a, that's an important mm-hmm. part for kids in their brain is to actually touch it, see it, see how much it costs, organize it. My only you know, request or suggestion in this um, uh, instance would be to make sure that there's some ability for share and save and spend. Right. So that it's not just a here's your, sure. you know, here's your money and boom, it goes to spend. But uh, wait, hold, hold on. <laughs> We're going to like, you know, so optimally, if if you could pay him three dollars for something, right, you go boom, boom and boom or, in yeah. you know, in quarters or whatever the, the denomination is. But I, th- I just think it's important for them to be able to to allocate right out of the gate in that regard. Yeah. So I think one of the most important concepts that kids can learn growing up is this idea of cause and effect when it comes to money. Like if you're a young kid and you break your toy or you're a teenager and you wreck your car, do you get a new one right away? Or instead, do you lose something that you really, really valued? And I think as parents, sometimes we we can miss this. Um, but I think in, you know, you've been an advisor a long time. You've probably seen this as well with families with even more money. Um, they can miss this even more so. And I think it's even more important. So I guess, number one, have you seen this? And number two, what does that then do to those kids as they grow up and then have to manage their own finances? Yeah, so I'm, um, a, I've am seen this a lot, you know, okay. where parents, particularly parents who have the means, you know, they can make mistakes go away really fast around cars, yeah. around, you know, fill in the blank credit, you know, over extended credit card bills and the list goes on. Um, and, you know, again, a couple things to be aware of. One, um, there's part of our brain called the prefrontal cortex right here, which manages all of our executive functioning, right? And 
that is not fully formed and developed until age 25. And so when you think about okay. it, um, you know, it's, it's not unusual that kids are going to be making mistakes, some smaller, some larger, you know, on that continuum, that journey of, and, you know, transitioning into adulthood. So it's really important to understand that as a parent and, you know, there needs to be some consequences for, you know, decisions. I don't know that they have to be punitive. Um, but if you, for example, right. there's a fender bender, you know, and this assumes now you've had some discussion about the car, caring for a car, responsibility, driving, you know, how many friends are in the car, distraction events and all those kinds of things. And they've, they demonstrate good behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if it's something not their fault, of course, you know, you're not going to be punitive to them or, you know, in, in any way. But if there's okay. something because, you know, they made the mistake because they weren't paying attention or whatever, boom, it's a fender bender. And all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's on them, you know, that's super important. And I'll just, I'll put it in, in a, another more, I think, very um, relatable example in today's virtual world. Um, there was a family I'm working with down in Florida and um, their son was doing a lot of online video gaming. And he was at the time in, I think, seventh grade. And, you know, he had access to his mom's credit card. And, you know, there was all this, you know, where you could kind of scale up in the video game, you know, buy this to get this, to get this, um, Fortnite. I mean, just pick, pick your poison on those things. And I mean, it was the, the credit card bill came in and it was like $2,500. They, (laughs) yes, yes. They definitely had the money. They could have made it go away, you know, like that. Um, didn't, and, you know, he had to work it off for the whole summer. You know, he was working in debt, you know, the whole summer and, you know, it was really hard for them, but man, did he learn that really critical lesson, you know? And so I, my point is, you know, you just need to understand that when you bail somebody out or make something go away, why it's not helpful is because they're not developing resilience. This pandemic, if it's taught us yeah. anything, it's taught us, man, do you need to understand and be able to have a some financial security tucked away for, you know, hopefully not another pandemic, but I mean, my goodness, right? Wind the clock back a year ago, but mm. it, it teaches them resilience. I can manage my way. I can find my way. I'm resilient. I have self-efficacy about how I can do things. I can find my way out of things. Jobs will be lost. Things will happen. Divorces happen, et cetera. So how can I make sure? But a lot of those lessons start early, right? And so as a parent, we're not doing our child any favor by making it go away. Um, So you you, want to manage it thoughtfully. um, But man, is it so important to, to let them learn from that situation? Because if not, what, here's what happens. Um, you know, the thing happens and then you bail out and then another thing happens. And then all of a sudden you start, potentially you're in this enabling pattern and then that starts to push out into adulthood and then that becomes really untenable. Yeah. And so just be mindful, be aware of it and, um, attend to it. Um, but, but help them. And this is where I think financial advisors can be such an incredibly important part of the dynamic for families as they're learning about money is to have somebody mm-hmm. not in the family helping them 
you know, being a sounding board and helping yeah. them navigate this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about college savings a little bit. Um, I'm often telling families that they should be concerned first and foremost with their own retirement and their own financial security before putting money away to uh, to save for their kids' college. How do you think we should be approaching saving for kids' college? Yeah, well, as I alluded to earlier, I mean, I, I just think it's super important. Um, you know, one of the one of the most difficult things that we ask of 17-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 18-year-olds, you know, is, is they're in this situation where they've got to make a pretty gargantuan decision in many instances, not always, um, but they're making a massive financial decision with not a lot of data and not a lot of understanding yeah. of what the consequence might be down the road. And by consequence, I'm talking about student loan debt and, and then subsequently their choice about college. And, you know, increasingly, I think families are getting wiser <laughs> about this. But, you know, colleges are, mm -hmm. in some respects, they're like um, going to college is kind of like, in a way, um, you know, the flashy car. And it's like, who has the more flash and dash, the brand name, you know, and then guess what? You're going to pay for that stuff. And you may get some financial aid. You know, you may not. Um, but I think the, the earlier you can be in the, con the realistic conversation about college. I mean, many high schools today have AP courses, so kids can be, you know, kind of an and or courses through their local community colleges, so they can be getting some credits out of the way and sometimes for free, many times for free. Yeah. And so it kind of helps kind of cut down, yep. you know, the length. So I think looking at all of those angles, um, 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 Ron Lieber, who's the personal finance columnist, for the New York Times just came out with a phenomenal book about college and paying for college. It's a really, really good book. And I would go and, it, and he just breaks yeah. it all down. And I just think it's, it's just brilliant. And so this is another place, though, that I think earlier, starting earlier, the conversation is better and then building up, building up, but then helping them yep. understand like debt and payback. And what that's going to mean for them and how that may impede some of their choices. Gosh, I think that's just, it's one of the most important things. And again, financial advisor, financial advisor, I'll say it again, how important that is to have people mm -hmm. like you, Adam, and others that you work with and in the community help them navigate. Because it can be overwhelming. You know, it's, it's a little like climbing Mount Everest because oh, yeah. parents are like going, oh my gosh, I don't know. I have no idea how to climb that mountain. But, you know, getting early guidance is super important. Yep. Yeah, I agree. So one of the biggest concerns I hear uh, from families of, of wealth is this idea of what is this inheritance going to do to my kids and grandkids? Can you talk to that a little bit? I, I've heard you yeah. say before that inherited wealth can come with unintended consequences. What, yes. what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I think um, what often I see happen, and I saw it you know, when I was on the advisor side, and now when I'm really on the consulting side, working with families of wealth around intergenerational you know, wealth transitions and those kinds of things, um, those unintended consequences, what, what happens often, Adam, is that at the front end, there's incredible amount of focus, energy, time around tax minimization, wealth maximization. Mm -hmm. So really like all the effort, energy, you know, around... Again, what I just said. And that's appropriate mm -hmm. in many respects. And, 
the unintended consequence is all of a sudden you've created these, you know, dynastic trusts, you know, obviously being in South Dakota, right? Um, this is very familiar territory to yeah, you all. We see those dynastic trusts. And then all of a sudden, you know, the events happen and there's a lot of money sitting in those trusts. And then whether they're age kind of based trusts, whether there are other kinds of trusts around, um, you know, um, the HEM standard, health education, education, maintenance, support, whatever kind of the, the frame, the policy is around those things. What I see is that, again, beneficiaries coming into situations where there's a lot of money and they don't have a common money language, they have underdeveloped financial capabilities, and all of a sudden they're thrust into this just massive situation where there's a lot of resources in play and they don't necessarily understand what a trustee does or that role um, their role as a beneficiary. And so it's like complete, it's like being in a, you know, a rowboat in the middle of an ocean and it can be super overwhelming. And yeah. so I just, you know, what, what I say is that, and where we focus a lot of our time is around bridging between the quantitative, the transactional stuff, and then beginning to educate and equip mm. this rising generation for what's coming. Because we know it's coming. It's inevitable. You know, you know, um, these are ir- many and many instances, most irrevocable you know, situations. So it just is tick, mm-hmm. tick, tick. Yep. So it's like, okay, well, how can we use that time wisely to begin preparing for them for this inevitable? So real quickly, parent, recent family um, of very significant wealth here in the Twin Cities, three young adult children. And they're kind of a little hemming and hawing about, oh, I don't really know. And again, it, the, the, the deal for them is at age 35, you know, it's, they get full on, you know, access, right? And so they haven't been in a lot of really, sure. you know, yep. proactive conversations, but we're starting that now. And it's giving them a sense of peace because they, they believed it was the right answer was just not say anything to them because I don't want to divert them from the things they're doing. And I sure. said, But what if it could be both? I I understand your desire to not want to deter them from their vocational pursuits and those kind of things. And though I believe that you can do both at at the same time and prepare them for what is coming so that they can grow into it well. And it's and it's a meaningful it's enhancing their well-being versus diminishing their well-being. So um, that was a long kind of way around that. But I, I do think those unintended consequences you know, they're rarely considered because they people think, oh, our kids are young, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden they're not young. And you're like facing this thing down going right. adult, right? Um, so I just think earlier, yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of what we've talked about so earlier is, is is better. And I'm curious, like, if you're seeing, you know, similar kinds yeah. of things. Yeah, we, we do. And unfortunately, I think what happens is they focus on the tax and the planning consequences first, and they don't necessarily give as much consideration to those conversations they should be having with their kids. I, you know, I work with a lot of families with, with significant means yes. and this is not something they talk about because their biggest concern is I don't want to take the fight out of the dog. I don't want our kids to have this huge expectancy. So I want to set these things up and then maybe not know about it. But as you said, at some point they're going to know and are they going to be yeah. equipped to handle that? My view on the wealth transfer is a lot of times that can just make your kids more of what they already were. So if they were great and super generous people, when they inherit a lot of money, chances are they're going to be still going to be great and and be super generous. 
if they were jerks before, they're probably going to be bigger jerks after. So um, I think that just that that just has to be part of the conversation with families as they start to set these structures up. Well, and to, to that end, I mean, I often do an exercise, particularly with families who have younger children, and I do what's called my you know eight, either age twenty five or age thirty exercise, and say, okay, you know, in an ideal scenario, when they're age twenty five or thirty, when or like in this family locally here, 35, you know, give me a sense of what is the picture of your son and uh, sons and daughter kind of look like in that moment? You know, when it comes to money, you know, give me a sense of, of, you know, how you think they'll respond and what, you know, what you think would be an optimal outcome, you know, for them in that space, because swamping somebody with a lot of money they weren't aware of, you know, either at the front end of a marriage or prior to a marriage, or, you know, it can just be you know, again, it can just be like drinking from a fire hose. It's like they're trying to like get their head around. Yeah. What I say to families is the reason you want to start early is so you can manage um, and shape the narrative, right? Because if you're not in the conversation, somebody else mm-hmm. is, and it's usually external, and they usually don't have a lot of care and concern about the financial yeah. well-being of your children or your grandchildren. But what I'm saying to families is, no, we can step into that proactively. And shape the narrative intentionally, values-based, in a way where the outcomes are much better, right? And so I think when with families around that, it's there's just a lot of opportunity there that I don't want them to walk past. Yeah, that makes sense. Nathan, how do we teach our kids to be generous? Um, talk about it frequently, show it frequently, have some expectations with them, you know, where, again, we're going to go back to allowances. You've divvied up the allowance you know, you've got a formula around how you want to do that based on age. And because the reason when kids have resources, whether it's commission based, like the system you have in your family, Adam, or others um, around just generally allowance based, the reason I want m- kids to have money in their hand is so they can respond. But because if they don't have any resources, it can be a little bit harder to respond. The other thing I want you to do, though, is volunteer, do things together. Now, the pandemic has made that harder you know, to do active kind of volunteering that hopefully yeah. is coming back more. But I think volunteering as a family, getting kids out into the world, seeing others traveling to other parts of the country, the world where people are less fortunate from them and understand, you know, than them, what does that mean? Um, so I, I really like experiential um, philanthropy where they can do um, money for particularly younger is a little bit abstract. Yeah. I still like that. But when you can combine an experience with resources, and kind of put those together, that's really cool, right? So I think that there are many ways to do it, but I just it's got to be a regular part of the rhythm, which is why I really like building it into an allowance, share and save and spend. So you you're always going to be uh, you know uh, touching yep. on it. The and the greatest compliment is when your child or your grandchild um, comes to you with an idea around doing some good in the world. Then it's like click. <laughs> They're getting it. <laughs> right. So I, yep. I really like that. <laughs> yep. Like that. Yep. Yeah. That's a win. Uh, when we started talking about this, this episode, Nathan, one of the things I enjoyed doing the most was getting onto your money sanity, you platform and binge watching, frankly, all these videos <laughs> that you have, uh, it's a really incredible resource. So tell me a little bit about that and what you're doing to get this out in front of families yeah. and individuals. Yeah, so Money Sand U developed out of a research project we did with adolescents and families about 10 years ago. And we wanted to understand, you know, could we shift habits and behavior, you know, um, with adolescents and their parents? 
And so we entered into a, I did, with a, a behavioral psychologist, Dr. Tim Kasser. Uh, we did a two-year-long study of adolescents and their parents, and um, half of whom were in the control group where they received no intervention. And then the intervention, by the way, was me um, doing three deep dive learning sessions with all you know um, adolescents and their parents. So half got that, half did not. What okay. we found at the end of that two-year study were, were the, the, the young people and the parents in the intervention group, they saw their well-being go like this, which is an upward climb, and they saw their materialism, which works mm-hmm. opposite of financial well-being, right? Um, they saw materialism on a sharp downward climb. Mm-hmm. Now, we contrast that with those in the control group, no intervention. Their results, exact opposite. Materialism measures were cl- climbing. Hmm their well-being measures were dropping, right? And so what we learned is that we can, we proved our hypothesis that when you bring people together, when you give them tools, when you help them develop the common money language, financial capabilities, it meaningfully affects not only their financial well-being, but their quality of life. So our, our um, uh, sure. opportunity coming out of that research was, okay, we can't you know, bring everybody together you know, to do workshops. So we got to go virtual. So about seven, eight years ago, we started yep. kind of creating Money Sandy U, and now it's in its third iteration, and it's really taking off around the country. We have a lot of family offices. We have multifamily offices, financial organizations. We have companies using Money Sandy U with their employees to help mm-hmm. them build their financial well-being and attend to yeah. that. So it's a subscription-based tool, but it, all of the topics that you talked about today, plus about you know 100 more, are sitting there on that virtual platform. And it's just an awesome way where we use video content, we use activities, again, common money language, building financial capabilities. And we know the outcome of that is really positive. And so we use, I call them sort of micro interventions. They're not like two or three hour deep dives. They're literally like you can watch a three or four minute video. And then there's a little action or a conversation that you have coming out of it. And when you stack all of those little micro sort of interventions on top of each other, the downstream effect is hugely positive. And so it's been really awesome. Um, it's really a passion area for ours, but it's, it's really getting traction. And we've got, you know, a number of, you know, significant institutions really, um, you know, taking it out to their um, clientele to help them develop, you know, these critical capabilities. Oh, that's awesome. Where can people learn more about you and, and all of your great work? Yeah, I mean, on our website, sharesavespend.com, um, you can learn about the work that we're doing. You can learn about Money Sanity U, our virtual learning platform, and um, and then send us messages. And yeah, and there's a bunch of tools out there on the website that people can, you know, um, take a look at and articles and stuff um, that I post on our blog. So um, yeah, this has been awesome connecting with you today, um, by the way. So I really appreciate you know, yeah. the opportunity to... I'll see you in yeah. the Yeah, no, thank you, Nathan. This was fantastic. My pleasure. Yeah, this was this was awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate the conversation. And uh, if you found this helpful, please feel free to share this with your family or friends or drop us a note or leave us a comment and tell us what's working. Thanks, and we'll talk with you again soon. <laughs>